Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. Hi, I'm B.A. Parker. I'm a producer here at The Cut. But before this, humble brag, I was a film professor. And I obsessed about every minute, beautiful, and infuriating thing in film and television. To be fair, I still do. So I was recently watching the Netflix miniseries The Queen's Gambit. Because as a former chess club kid, I expected it to be my jam. So I was overjoyed and then befuddled to see the character Jolene, the protagonist's childhood BFF from the orphanage and black girl savior extraordinaire, whose entire purpose is to be labeled as difficult while sacrificing huge parts of herself so that the porcelain white girl can play chess. And it felt all too familiar to me. It reminded me of this film I loved as a kid called The Little Princess. There were days I thought I would die until I heard you talk about the magic. I grew up faithfully watching the 1995 version of A Little Princess by Alfonso Cuaron about a rich orphaned white girl who ends up being a servant at an all-girls school and spends her evenings in the attic with another orphan servant, a little black girl who shares in her daydreams and fantasies. But unlike the Queen's Gambit... Is it ever this cold where you come from? In A Little Princess, both girls free themselves together and truly become princesses in lace and curls, allowed to grow up as sisters. But still, there is this disconnect. The Black girl still feels like the friend on the sidelines. Even if she's spunky and nothing awful or bad happens to her. This was the case with a lot of the movies I grew up on. They all had iterations of the sweet black sidekick. There was also Lavender, the best friend in Matilda. Hey, sorry. That's okay. It's much better than being out there. And Jesse in the Babysitter's Club. Christy, this brilliant idea might really be brilliant. And the most classic example for us nerdy black kids of the 90s was a grown man. LeVar Burton as Star Trek The Next Generation's sweet, brainy sidekick, Jordy LaForge. Computer, as we increased our power levels, was there any counter-reaction? Affirmative. But listen, I'm not here to complain. I'm just sort of navigating my way through this trope. It is not entirely a bad thing at all. As a brainy, spunky little black kid, I love these characters. I mean... I needed them. One of the first things I noticed about The Next Generation is that they have Jordy LaForge. I remember as a little girl, I had like a brown suede headband and I used to put it over my eyes so I could be Jordy LaForge. Jordy is so soft-spoken and introverted. 
he makes amazing friends with the android on the ship. And I just, I was like, this guy is so cool. Like, yeah, he's a nerd, but he's so cool. That is none other than the actress Zelda Harris. When she was 10 years old, she played one of these classic sidekick characters, Jessie, the only black babysitter in the Babysitter's Club. I did not grow up reading the Babysitter's Club books. I read every single one of those books. Jessie was a dancer who always related to her kids. She learned sign language for one of the kids she babysat and taught dance moves. And the film adaptation of the Babysitter's Club was totally formative for me growing up. Zelda definitely played the sidekick, the supporting role to a host of white girls. But she also stole scenes left and right. They're dropping like flies. She kind of had to. That was what she was given to work with, not just in the Babysitter's Club, but in every role she auditioned for. You know, I would be the bouncy token friend, but not necessarily get to read for the lead. Over and over again, Zelda would hit this wall. She knew her potential, but casting directors saw her as the bouncy token friend. And that it starts to wear on you as a kid because you have the power of your imagination. You're working in an industry that can make anything happen. You got puppets, Muppets, CGI, you got all this stuff going on, but you're still getting this very consistent message that you're here to support so-and-so. And okay, um, yeah, the camera's gonna be set up right here. You're gonna stand on the side. I'm not sure if you're gonna be in this shot. Um, you know, having that kind of realization was intense. This realization was extra intense for Zelda because she knew it didn't have to be this way. She started her acting career in a leading role. Her very first film was Spike Lee's Crooklyn, where she starred as Troy. Well, maybe if you play other people's music, mommy wouldn't scream and yell at you. I can't do that anymore, Troy. It was an all-inclusive set with women and people of color where she had the starring role in a black and brown film. It seemed natural. As a child for my first movie, in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is something that I'm gonna see again. And when I worked on other projects that were not with Spike, I was like, oh wow, this is really different. The more she went to auditions and was asked to read the role of the sidekick, the more she could see the future of her acting career unfold. It was just gonna be filled with smart, spunky sidekick characters. Zelda didn't wanna be relegated to that. So she stepped away from acting. Now she's an educator and does music. Singing for social justice, I did a couple classes on um, music as activism and an activist movement uh, within culture and society. Um, and my students wrote me into teaching Glee. She's too busy being a teacher to spend much time thinking about her acting days. But every once in a while, she remembers. One of my students, he was like, so uh, I was watching He Got Game and I felt really weird the whole movie and I didn't know what was wrong. And then at the end of the movie, I was watching the credits and I saw your name. He was like, and then I looked you up and I was like, okay, yeah, it's me. She was like, how can you be just a teacher? You were in movies. I wouldn't call anyone just a teacher. I was a teacher. But this does make me sad in a selfish way because seeing Zelda Harris on screen meant and still means so much to me. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me about how Crooklyn has really helped them process their grief. Yeah. A lot of my Black female fans will reach out to me 
and explain what it meant for them to see someone on a screen that looked like them. And I wonder if Hollywood has any idea how much talent they've lost, how many audiences they've alienated in the perpetuation of this one particular narrow archetype, this one role that I grew up watching and that Zelda grew up playing, along with this select handful of other Black child actors. You know, um, young Black girls that we would all audition for like the same things at the same time, essentially. Kiami DeVell played Lavender, best friend to telekinetic bookworm Matilda in the 90s Danny DeVito kids film, Matilda, a role that Zelda Harris also tried out for. I was too tall. That was the whole thing. I was so upset about it. How old was I? Maybe nine. I think I was already a, a little taller than Danny DeVito himself. The character of Lavender is nerdy and friendly with big purple glasses and a love of newts, which Kiami was all about. I'm thinking, okay, so then that means she gets to kind of be like a, a little bit of like a, a really fun little kid who doesn't have any worries now. Nope. Actually, Lavender has a lot of worries. In the plot of Matilda, Matilda is this child genius trapped in an evil elementary school where kids are thrown into torture chambers and the principal, Principal Trunchbull, swings kids by their ponytails like javelins. And Lavender, the trusty and dependable best friend, is the one who guides Matilda around this awful school and tells her what's what. The Trunchbull used to be in the Olympics. Shot put, javelin, hammer throw. Yeah, and I just remember trying to figure out with Lavender just... Like, why would her parents let her go to that mean school? I know, right? Maybe that's the only school that's close by. I don't know. Maybe in the 90s, they misinterpreted a cruel white lady to mean, like, a good education. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tolerate this because this is going to get her dispelled one day. See, teacher discipline and structure. But of course, in a movie called Matilda, the titular role is white. But as a kid, I kind of took the crumbs I was given. I was grateful for them. Black girls are rarely championed on screen or in real life, particularly dark-skinned black girls. I mean, even now, let's face it, I am not a main character. I am a chubby black girl. So unless there's a precious remake or a biopic about saving democracy in the state of Georgia, it is just not in the cards for me. It's not new. I've been pestered by this constant fear of being relegated to the sidelines. That maybe it was my lot in life to be someone's supporting character. And I know that's not rational. I know that I'm my own person with my own thoughts and agency. But that's the thing about representation, about what people see in the world. And if all they see is the black girl as your friendly sidekick, I don't know. I guess it kind of gave me a complex. Until... Along came Jurassic Park. After the break. Dr. Grant, my dear Dr. Sutcliffe, welcome to Jurassic Park. When I was a kid, Jurassic Park was just the coolest thing in the world. And lanky, open-shirt Jeff Goldblum was the coolest part of the coolest thing in the world. I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. 
So imagine my absolute surprise and delight when Jeff Goldblum came back to his role as Dr. Ian Malcolm for the sequel, The Lost World. But this time, Ian Malcolm brought along his brilliant black daughter. What? She doesn't even have Sega. She's such a troglodyte. Cruel, but good word use. Dr. Ian Malcolm's daughter, Kelly Malcolm, is a sweet, peppy little smartass who tags along on her dad's dangerous dinosaur adventures. I was a smartass who totally wanted to go on adventures with my dad. So, oh my God, to watch Jeff Goldblum dote on his daughter and protect her? That was amazing. Because you turned out to be so uh, beautiful and brilliant and powerful and funny and generous. The queen, the goddess, my inspiration. The queen, the goddess. And I'm like, this is such great, like, affirmation, <laughs> making a, a, a little girl feel good about herself in just such a supportive way. That is Vanessa Chester, who played the role of Kelly Malcolm. In The Lost World Jurassic Park, no one ever acknowledges that Kelly is Black, besides a brief question of a family resemblance. Do you see any family resemblance here? A question that has been burning in my heart since I was 10. Was Kelly always written as Black? Um, yeah. At the time, I didn't know what my character would be because it was so top secret. I didn't learn that Jeff was playing my dad until I went to a wardrobe fitting. And I was like, wait, what? Of course, the early internet had lots of opinions about this casting choice. Some of them cruel. Because as long as there's been message boards, there's been trolls. I would search and like sometimes I would find some stuff that I was like, oh, this is like hurtful or like just flat out racist. And so I always kind of felt like, oh, I'm not really sure if people like me or accept me. I mean, it was a massive film and it was, you know, a dark skinned black girl in the center of it. I was the only kid. It's huge. And these experiences just became Vanessa's whole life. She had a run in the 90s where she was the movie black girl. She was Becky, that servant girl in A Little Princess, and Janie, the cool scientist best friend in Nickelodeon's Harriet the Spy. With Harriet the Spy and with A Little Princess, you're the best friend, but also like that's it's an important role. But it's also, did was there a moment where you were like, why can't I be the lead of something? I got a Leo moon and I like to be the center of attention Fair. a good amount. So I was, I'm, I, I, I think I would be lying if I said that the thought of it, like not being about me, didn't cross my mind, whether I made the connection of it being like a black best friend at that age, I don't think so. But as I got older and you know, like you're in your teens and you're starting to see the stuff that you're auditioning for, you're like, why am I always like, helping them out. Like, what is this about? And that I became far more aware of because, you know, you just, like, the rose-colored glasses come off and you're like, wait, wait, wait. Even with that realization, Vanessa never left the business and I still see her around. She was recently in an episode of Shameless, even though her character never says a word. And I was like, that's Vanessa Chester. It's always nice to see her, but she's a reminder of all that's missing. All the black childhood actors who never got their full shine. All the roles that never got written for all the weird black girls like me, who longed to be the star of their own story. Which is why I keep her characters so close to me. She played her part in order to transcend it. I mean, it feels weird saying that, like, I, I, that I want to thank you, but I... Of course! 
your character showed me a different way to be. It was important to me to portray that, I think, you know, because it definitely did something for my confidence to know that this is a, if you think I can accurately portray that, that how does that, that means that it's in us. Like, that's what we are. That's what I, I had been able to hear was the stories from more black women when I was younger, that they were excited to see someone like me. What you're doing, you clearly are a very strong human being. So I'll take credit for any of that. I never met you, but I raised her. I'm like, I raised Parker from a child. And people were like, you're crazy. <laughs> Vanessa and I were two strangers. Grown women talking to each other about this thing I could never fully articulate to anyone else. How much I felt seen by her and her needing to be seen by me as well. This episode was written and produced by me, with edits by Allison Berenger, Avery Truffleman, Hannah Rosen, Stella Bugby, and Nishat Kurwa. Mixed and scored by Joel Robbie. The Cut Podcast is made possible by the team at New York Magazine. Subscribe to support their work at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm B.A. Parker, and thanks for listening. <laughs>